You're listening to episode 63 of the STEM Space. Do you take your students on field trips? What is the point of them? Today, Natasha is talking about how she took her students on a field trip and what were the takeaways? How do you use a field trip to teach the concepts that you want your students to learn? Let's dive in. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Claire. So you have been really busy doing some sort of secretive project that I'm so anxious to hear of because you've sent me pictures. But I have no idea what I'm looking at. So what are you doing? Well, what picture did I send you? You want to describe it? Do you remember? There were some kids, old kids, college students. (laughs) Can I still call them kids? I do. Okay. And they were standing in this large building, kind of looked like a hangar, maybe. And they looked concerned and perhaps a little flustered. That's a good, uh, good description. <laughs> so these students are college students, and they were in a climate-controlled chamber where we test semi-trucks, and mm. they were put in this room that was at negative two degrees Celsius. Oh. And then the research scientists turned on the fans, so they were in this cold room with 20-mile-per-hour winds, and the photo I sent you is the right as the fans were turning on and they were freaking out. (laughs) This was done by choice. This was not a torture experiment. (laughs) They chose to do this. So let me back up and tell you what led to this moment. Yes. All right. So we have this group of students and I've talked about them before. We did the Space Lander Challenge. Remember that? Yes. And they weren't great at it but okay (laughs) they're teachers so they're gonna go and teach in high school is what they most of them want to do engineering teachers technology some want to do science and this is their methods class so how do you teach science and engineering so part of this is taking a field trip and translating it into something for their classroom So day one was to give them this experience. So if you were going to take your own students on a trip, how can you make it meaningful? Instead of just show up and do a tour of something, how do you make it into some kind of learning experience? Why would we take kids to a field trip? Connecting it to that real world side of engineering and science. So that's what I was trying to get out of this. So the professor basically gave me two days with these students. And so day one was at this facility down at Texas A&M, and it's called the Energy Emissions Lab. And like I said, they have this huge chamber for semi-trucks, and basically they run them on a treadmill. And so they can change the speed and the elevation, and they see the emissions coming out of this truck. And they also can change the climate to make sure that it's a performance test. So is this truck performing as it should on these various conditions. And I asked them, I was like, do you test refrigeration trucks? We actually have old Bluebell, which is an ice cream company, Bluebell ice cream trucks. And we test them and they try to see if these refrigeration trucks will keep stuff cold whenever it gets too hot. So this can actually go up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit down to negative two. So it has the whole spectrum of temperature. Wow. Okay. That is really cool. 
my my first thought is also do they look at the aerodynamics do they use this as a giant wind tunnel no no (laughs) (laughs) they do have these gigantic fans and that's more to uh test like the different conditions that the trucks would go through but it's not a wind tunnel so they're not doing any kind of aerodynamic analysis Okay. They also do some crash testing at this site. So oh. there, this is an old, there is an old airplane hangar out there, runway, and they just smash trucks into walls and do all sorts of really pretty cool testing. And that was the experience I wanted these students to have. So they heard from this engineer who was the lab manager, and he talked about all his work with emissions and air quality and how we can test that on trucks. And then we went into this climate controlled chamber and tortured the students (laughs) willingly. And then they went out into the other side of the lab and they had a truck hooked up to an emissions monitor and they could see the stuff coming out of the exhaust and what the different levels were and how, you know, you calibrate the equipment. So real world testing. And they got to ask a bunch of questions. And that was, and I had donuts to make up for (laughs) torture. Good call. Always provide food. Yes. And they seemed to have fun. And then on Monday, so this was on a Friday, so that next Monday, I had them for an hour and a half. And that was part two of this experience. And it started out quite well. We sat down. I was like, so what y'all think about this field trip? And this student raises his hand. He's like, what was the point? (laughs) Why did we do that? (laughs) So first off, I have a question. Yeah. Had you been to this place before? Have you experienced it? Or was this your first time with the students experiencing it with them? I had not been in the chamber in that way. I did get a tour of this previously. Okay. But not this like complete experience. Gotcha. Because I'm kind of sensing this as like an inception type lesson where not only are you trying to teach them how to get something out of a field trip and teach, but you are also getting something out of the field trip to teach them how to teach it. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. You got it. So this sounds really intense. So how, first of all, how did you prepare to teach them what to get out of it before this kid asks you the question, what was the point? Well, I, he started with no offense, but <laughs> what was the point? And I was like, thank you. That is actually the question I wanted you to have. And that's what we're going to figure out in this class period. So the behind the scenes was we had talked about and I didn't do this back work here. So this was the the main instructor. And she's been talking about what are different engineering concepts, science concepts, the nature of engineering. Like what are all the things that we have as standards, if you will, for an engineering class? Because it's kind of ambiguous when we say you're a STEM teacher, what you need mm-hmm. to teach. And so that's what they've been doing all semester is learning about, well, what are the things that we could put in an engineering class? And then how could we teach it well? And a big piece of their class is this and kind of weird term nature of engineering, which is just how is engineering in the real world? And she told them, you'll be able to probably take your kids on field trips, but I want you to maximize that time with the students on these field trips. So that was my job to help them kind of maximize it. And so that's what I told him. I was like, I want you to analyze this field trip because the way I set it up, I gave this guy who was running this lab full control over the experience. I was like, do whatever you want, give us an experience. And then we talked about what we could have done better. So if I was to take a group of high school students, you know, what would I have done to make sure this was a great experience? Because I was like, what did you get out of it? And they're like, well, 
it was kind of cool to sit in this chamber. Like it was kind of fun to see the emissions, but it didn't all like really connect very well to anything. And so that was our whole goal of this class was to come up with a lesson sequence and where would the field trip fit? So we started with whiteboard, just talking about all the things you could pull out of this lesson. So we started with like science concepts. So like emissions and air quality. Okay, what does that mean? Air pollution, well, how do we get air pollution? Oh, we could talk about like particles in the air. And then how do you measure that? So now we're getting into more of engineering while we have these sensors. Well, how could we turn that into a lesson for kids? Oh, well, he talked about these like pocket size sensors. Well, maybe we could give some to our students, walk around and collect data for sources of air pollution. And then they're like, oh, he talked about this map where you can look at the level of, of particles in the air or the quality of your air around the world. Do a whole investigation for kids on looking at like, you know, Wichita Falls, Texas compared to Houston, Texas or Beijing, China. You know, and these are really cool skills, but how do you connect that to a field trip? So that was the whole like class discussion. And it's interesting because one debate we were having is, do you put the field trip in the beginning or do you put it somewhere else? What do you think? Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you. Do you, because I almost want to start with the field trip to do like the shock and awe, the experience, and then talk about, give them the vocabulary and the, the other things that they should pull from it since they already experienced it. Otherwise, everything's a little bit abstract until you get to the field trip. But maybe they would have better questions if they did the field trip last to ask the experts. So I, I don't, I don't know what would be best. So what, what do you think? You know, in the middle. (laughs) Honestly, okay. Because you want to have the best of both worlds. So I threw these students in with zero context. So they were kind of overwhelmed and didn't know what questions to ask. So I helped by asking a bunch of questions myself and tried to guide this instructor or the the person running the tour. Well, what about this? Or did y'all guys notice this? But if they already had the knowledge of what is air quality, how do we test emissions, that context, and then they could come up with their own questions. So you still want some kind of experience maybe prior to that. So the air quality monitors going out and measuring air pollution. If they have that experience and then they go on this field trip on like a real scientist measuring air quality, they're going to be able to connect that back to what they did in their classroom. And I think that makes it a really powerful experience. And that's what I've learned, you know, from doing this with middle school students. You could take them on the coolest field trips. You can bring in the coolest mentors. But if you don't give them any context, they're just totally lost and you lose what could have been a really powerful, you know, learning experience. And so you've got to prep kids for a field trip, I think is my, my big tech takeaway. And it doesn't even have to tie into some like big grand science lesson. If you don't want to, it could just be as simple as we're going to learn about a really cool career. Like what does it mean to be a systems engineer? Okay. Well, let's talk about it, have some discussion in class. And then they're prepared to like go and explore And then the follow-up, right? We just had this really cool experience. Let's do some activities, some discussion afterwards. And then maybe you could email more questions to that engineer. Like you can keep that that conversation going. So it's kind of, I mean, that's the premise of the learning cycle and how that our brains actually work. But the point is that it's a cycle. So it goes over and over again. So you start the learning cycle with giving them some sort of context by doing something 
like having those sensors that they walk around with and experiment on their own. But then when you loop back around, the field trip is the next bigger experience that they can tie to after they've already figured out the context and you've taught some Mm -hmm. sort of lesson to it. Yeah. And you could even think of it both as exploration and application, which is at the end. Mm -hmm. So you learn some different concepts that now you're asking questions and applying those concepts to a new setting. So if they are starting to understand this word particulate matter, and now this research scientist is talking about it in a very different way, it's going to help them make all these connections, right? Oh, that's what my teacher meant. Like they literally hook up this thing to the back of the car. Like that's a very powerful thing to see it versus me like there's emissions coming out of a car. (laughs) Yes. And transfer it. So that's what one of the major things that I've been interested in lately is about how we transfer knowledge. And I, I feel like that's the point of STEM. Like the main point is that you're able to transfer what you've been learning and all the other subjects that are separate, that you're learning the math and the science in your math class, in your science class, even your literature studies. But then tying that in with STEM and saying, no, this is how you transfer that knowledge to be able to use it anywhere in your observation of the real world, which we talk about all the time. It's all about that real world experience and careers. So, I mean, yeah, that's such a great way to teach teachers to do that. It's very meta. (laughs) Like we're like, first you're a student. I know I had to. Yeah. And so I'm like, first year student, now I want you to think of it as a teacher, of, and then as a teacher of teachers, and then how would you like change this? But then like back in your teacher or your student hat, but I think it's really important because they, it's a learning cycle, right? I needed them to experience it as a student. I wanted them to go on a field trip that I did not plan for. And just, that's how most field trips are done. Like we've done the Toyota plant, manufacturing plant, right? You walk around, you see some cool stuff, and then you have no idea what happened. (laughs) Like, it was cool, right? I saw some cars built. But how much more powerful it is if there's something building up to it. And then it is like something kids look forward to, and it gives them more buy-in for your whole lesson. But I honestly am like the proponent for the middle. So you do stuff in the beginning, and then it gets them pumped about the topic in the middle, and then you do maybe another project or extend that, that learning. Yeah, absolutely. That's really awesome. So what what other questions or what did you do the rest of that Monday meeting with them? Well, I started with, so we talked about on the board, they had, okay, science concepts, engineering concepts. I'm like, what else have y'all learned in this class that we should try to bring in from this field trip? And so then they said the word nature of engineering. And then we got derailed because (laughs) there was this debate among them that Uh they were like, what okay so they said nature of engineering is like systems like there's a lot of systems that have to take place and you have to understand the big picture but then how all the parts work and then someone was like but that's a concept and they're like no it's the nature of engineering it's a concept so they like couldn't understand the Mm -hmm. difference and I it was a very very useful conversation because I think that was something they've been struggling all semester And what I told them, and don't tell the instructor, that I I was like, we're just going to erase the nature of engineering from this (laughs) column. It is a subset of engineering concepts. So concepts for me, for engineering, can be systems, doing iterations, material processing, you know, like in a machine shop, like how do you make all the different parts, design graphics, how do you communicate your ideas, 
and that there's skills in there too, but what are like the big ideas in engineering? And then the nature of engineering in quotes to me is just real world engineering. Like how does it actually happen? So in your classroom, when you're teaching about like we have this, this idea of this air pollution, right? So these sensors and we're taking measurements and we're going outside in our classroom. We're teaching a concept here, but it's not really how it works in the real world. And that's that nature of engineering. So what's the, the real world engineering? How do engineers and scientists actually collect this data? What do they do with that data? And it depends on you know your level of your students, how you explain this to a first grader versus a 12th grader is gonna be very different. And that's what you've talked about with STEM. Like we're always trying to bring in that real world piece in a way that gives them more depth to understand these concepts that not just the roller coaster, the paper and the tape, and we built a roller coaster and I'm an engineer. <laughs> well, let's not promote these misconceptions. Yeah. Like you're not, unfortunately. You're gonna be really disappointed when you get that yeah. first job because you're not gonna have access to cardboard and tape. And build. so that's why I show them like, okay, here's a tool we use. And then on this field trip, you got to see how it actually happens in the real world. And then you can talk about the complexities to a point, but you don't like overwhelm kids. But I think it makes it more exciting for them to see like what I'm doing is connected to something that I could do in the future. It's actual problems that people are trying to solve. And so like this word nature of engineering is like a more of a philosophical term because the word they didn't like was nature. They're like, nature sounds like trees and plants, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, it's like True. the nature of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know another word for that. And so then I pulled up my blog post on the, the P12 engineering framework that came yes. out with ASC. And I have these like nice pictures and I'm like, this is a better way to think of it. There's the habits of mind right? And then there's these engineering concepts like material processing and the design process. And they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> so, And don't go to like an admin and be like, we're going to talk about the nature of engineering because nobody knows what that means. <laughs> no. Real world, that's it. That's all it means. And it could even be historical. Like tell them about the history of say car manufacturing. Like that's pretty cool. Which actually you are working on a project. Would you like to talk about that? Uh, yes, because I, okay, so we've mentioned it before. I have this end of year project for one of my grad school classes called Creative Genius. That's the name of class, which, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> but so it's talking about how our brain works and how to encourage more creativity in the, in our thoughts and processes and how to develop more as a creative in individual. So my final project for the semester is a deep study on a creative genius or somebody I would consider a creative genius. So being the good student that I am, I thought I picked somebody that would be easy to do a project on, somebody that was obscure that maybe my professor had never heard of before mm -hmm. so that I, Smart. you know, isn't as meticulous in grading me, I guess, on, on that person. Like if I chose Walt Disney, I, you know, everybody yeah. knows who that is. And that'd be, I, I don't know. I'd have to know a lot, I think, to make it a really good project. So I checked out a book from a library on um, female inventors thinking, oh, I'm just going to pick somebody who invented something and find out some more information about her and maybe be able to turn that project into something I can use in my classroom. Because I always want to show a more diverse set of 
stimists in history so they can my students can relate say hey that that person's just like me and there's not a lot of female inventors we've talked about that you can just name so i picked this random woman i thought she was random lillian gilbreth you've never heard of her no idea nope. and in this book it was like she invented the step trash can i was like that's fun i remember you talking about that yep <laughs> yeah so no this this person is a really big deal but what I've found is I've I bought several books about her because they're they apparently exist. She is like the overlap of everything that I do in my life. And it's been so interesting that I my project is due in a couple of days and I haven't started on it because I keep absorbing so much information because I'm just so overwhelmed at how interested I am in her work. So tell me I, about her. What, okay. what is she like? So I'll try to be brief because I could t- probably talk about her for hours now. But some people might have heard the movie about her and her family called Cheaper by the Dozen. Hmm. They've, they've, it's been made like three times. Yeah. She's from early 1900s. Uh, most of her work was done in like 1912 is when her prominent work. She had 12 children. Wow. And yes, while working and getting her PhD, uh, she started off in like English and literature studies. But then when she got married to a man who's in construction, she became really interested in motion studies is what it's called. So her and her husband started this consulting firm where they would go to different industries and figure out, hey, that process that you're doing right now is taking you a lot longer than it could. And so they would analyze how people were moving and what things they were doing and try to make it easier. Mm -hmm. So she is now known as the first lady of industrial engineering. She started industrial engineering. No way. And ergonomics. So she's the first person to infuse educational psychology in the workplace and how to teach people how to be better at working. I was like, wow, this is like everything. I mean, I'm majoring, getting my master's in educational psychology, and I'm married to an industrial engineer. So That's right. Yeah. I was like, whoa. So I went to my husband. I was like, do you know her? Like, have you heard of her? Were all your classes about her? He's like, I've never heard of her before. I was like, well, everything you've learned is because of her. So, and it's just Ellen. amazing because she, her and her husband even invented something called the, oh, I'm going to mispronounce it. Um, I got to think about it for a second. Thurblig, the Thurblig, which is her last name spelled backwards. Clever. Yes. And what that is, is a part of a motion. And there's 18 of them that they, that her and her husband identified as essential motions a worker can perform. So it's like search for a part, find the part, move it here. Like there's very distinct motions that They broke down everything that a worker does in a factory. There's 18 basic steps. And this is how long it should take. And this is how we can reduce those motions to make sure your thurblig is reasonable. (laughs) It sounds like we're robots. (laughs) Right? But, I mean, it's improved. It proved everything. And it changed the way that all factories work. And made workers happier because she infused psychology into it and saying, hey, we want to make your life easier. So instead of just thinking, well, you could be faster if you did it this way, like a robot. It's like, well, we also want you to be able to sit and stand whenever you want to, because that's more comfortable. 
So how can we do that and make you more efficient? So really fascinating stuff. Well, I'm going to pause you here because we're going to make this another podcast episode when you are done with this project. <laughs> if I ever finish if this. If you ever finish, we'll just keep emailing the professor. I need more time. Yes. So part of my project is to make a video about this woman's life. Ooh. And I want to turn it into something that my students can take away. I'm, I want to teach them what she taught industry oh. workers on how, how you can be more efficient and happier as, as a worker. Well, if we're allowed to, that would be great to post on Lofi's <laughs> YouTube channel for other teachers to use. And it like ties in here, right? It's the nature of engineering. It is the nature of engineering. Yes, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, back to your question before we went down about her, which she sounds fascinating. What I did the rest of the time on Monday after we had this whole like debate about the nature. Yes. Do you remember the uh, pig lungs? Oh, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just strategically placed them in a Tupperware in the middle of like a desk because they had like different group group settings. There's only 10 students. And someone was like, oh, can I have a cookie? I was like, you, you can't. <laughs> Don't know why they look like cookies. It was hilarious. Did you say yes? Yeah. I was like, go ahead. And then they like, got closer and they're like, Wait. is there something wrong with your cookies? So in the Tupperware is a smoker's lung. So it was a real pig lung that has been dyed and has a simulated tumor on it to show you what a pack of cigarettes for 20 years will do to your lungs. Yes. Yeah. So then I was like, let me just open it. And so then I open it out and I pull slowly this slimy pair of lungs. Please don't throw up on me, Claire. <laughs> I'm past that. We're okay. Okay. And they were all freaking out. And the reason I did this, I didn't bring the whole setup, but I was like, this is such a powerful way to explain the effects of air pollution. Smoking is very similar to smog that you breathe in a city with really bad air pollution due to emissions from cars and airplanes and trucks, which is exactly what we did in the emissions lab. And this makes it a very powerful experience for students. And I just did this two nights ago at a STEM night. Oh my gosh. The parents especially were freaking out about this demo because you have a pump and you push down and air inflates the lungs and they're the size of a human lung. So for an adult that's like 150 pounds, this is your lungs. They are very similar to pig lungs. So we had a healthy lung and this polluted lung. And it's just like that, something like that, you know, gives them that initial experience of the why I should care. And then you can do concept development and then go on this field trip and it just kind of all ties it together. And at the end, so I, I showed them the pig lungs. We talked about kind of the sequence of this lesson. And at the very end, we did a mystery town game. And I had them test it out. So, you know, when you develop lessons, and I know you create all your content, it sometimes doesn't go the way you expect, right? <laughs> and that's why we test it. We've got to test out our lessons before we have other teachers try it out with somebody. Because yes. like, how was in your head? Yeah. So the goal of this lesson is I had six towns in the U.S. and I gave them a data sheet with pictures. So it was places like Los Angeles and Houston, but they didn't know where it was. All they got was this picture from Google Earth and then just some highlights of the town, how many factories it has, the population, if it's a touristy town, like if there's a museum district, random stuff. And then they had to tell me what they think the air quality in that town is based on this information. 
Well, when I designed this lesson, I expected them to go town by town. So they're like, oh, there's a lot of trees here. So it must have clean air. Oh, but there's wildfires. So it's probably not so clean and have like a debate. Well, they tore apart my packet. They laid out all the towns and then they needed to rank them. Like that's what they wanted to do. Can you see this from- I was about to say, I bet they ranked them. So then they thought it was a competition to see who could rank it correctly. And so it was like, they- they were so engaged. That was the best part. They loved it because they're like, but this one, this one is near the mountains. I bet that affects the air pollution because it's like keeping in the, mm. the bad air. Oh, but this has a lot of wind, but this one's hot. I wonder what that means. And then they're like really having these amazing discussions. And I kept telling them, don't rank them. It's not going to help you to rank them. All <laughs> I want you to know is what is the air quality in each town on its own, like as that location. But I just let them go because it's the the pilot. I just wanted to see what would happen. And so they came back and they had, the fun part was trying to guess the town, which is no learning there. I just wanted to know if they <laughs> from based on the map. And they thought Houston was Chicago for some reason. I'm like, do you guys know geography from like a map of Houston? I don't know. It's another topic. <laughs> but the, the great thing is they had their rankings and they were telling what the air quality is and and then I reveal the answer. So we go town by town and discuss like, well, New York City, they ranked pretty poorly. It actually has great air. It has, it's in the green zone. If you know anything about air quality, green is, is good. And that's because there's a lot of regulations in New York City, highly mm. populated, but highly regulated on their emissions. While there's a place in Oregon that you depends on the time of year. So it had the lowest minimum for that year and it had the highest maximum. It was in this like yellow, moderate hazardous air quality because of wildfires. Every summer oh. there would be wildfires. And I'm like, this is why you can't rank it because mm -hmm. what are you ranking on time of year? Like there's so many factors. So if you just look at the average, it doesn't tell the full story because an average day is capturing this like noise. Um, so summer, don't go to Oregon, this town, because there's really bad wildfires. Uh, so it was really great to kind of have them do it because this lesson is actually for elementary and middle school students to kind of mm. take all their knowledge. So they use the air quality monitors, they understand sources of air pollution, what influences the stuff in our air. They go on this field trip, they see the scientists do this lab, and then they take it all into this final lab where they have to guess the town and figure out, you know, the different sources. And then the last piece is what can you do about it? So if you're the mayor of Medford, Oregon, how can you improve your air quality? And so that's mm. the, the final project is to do more of like this, what we call socio-scientific issues. Like what can you do to make a difference? And that gets kids excited. That's the best kind of assessment. I mean, a test can never get kids as emotionally invested than something like that. And that's something that they're going to actually remember. Yeah, exactly. And then I was able to assess them from their, I took their handouts home and I can tell mm. if they got it because they all had the same, you know, they're doing the same activity, but it's their justification. Why did you give it a green? And if they can justify it, they'll get an A, right? Yes. Maybe they miss something, but at least they justified from the data. And that's a huge part that a lot of science teachers are trying to do more using evidence to base your argument, to justify your answer. And I think we'd all be happy. That was like our thermo class, remember? 
Yes. You get I, the wrong answer, but if you can tell me why that answer is wrong, he would give you an A. Yes, I still have scars from that class. My favorite class. Because <laughs> that was back in the day when I thought, no, I need to know the answer. Yeah. And you would write down all your assumptions and you would not have the right answer and you would nope. still get it correct. And I wouldn't because I didn't write down all the things that it should I should have that were going on in my head. But I didn't write it down. So that yeah. would be frustrating because Show we didn't have, we didn't have STEM work. teachers to prepare us for this class. Did not. No. It's black or white, right or wrong. Yep. That's not how the world works. So. So that was it. That was my two day. I called it translating research into the classroom. I love that. So what did you learn from that experience? Did it grow you in ways of developing lessons or how? to teach in any way? I hadn't really thought about using field trips as part of Mm. a lesson. I was tasked with providing an experience for students to go on a trip to this lab. Like that was what I was told to do. Bring some students and give them a tour. And I was like, hmm, wonder what I can do with this. Because then I had another day to like follow up. And I was like, what, what am I teaching here? Like you said, like that one student, what's the point? And that I realized that there actually is a point and that we can really meaningfully use field trips. So I can't claim that I knew all this before I started doing (laughs) (laughs) this like a week ago, but it just like all came together for me and thinking about my own field trips for kids. I definitely, we just went on trips. Like I did not have it as part of like a lesson sequence. We would go to NASA at the end of space club and we would just go (laughs) and you would learn. And it was epic and amazing, but I feel like I could have done better And at least preparing them for pieces of it, like having some unit on, let's learn about astronauts. Let's learn about a recent launch, you know, before going. It just makes it so much better than just showing up and having no idea what's going on. So true. Yeah, that makes me think of being more intentional about every experience because it's all about experience, giving the experience. It's like not just exposing them to things, but actually guiding their learning through experience. That exactly. That was my takeaway because I have never sat down and been on the board. What are the science concepts? What are the (laughs) skills I'm like? I've never done that. (laughs) But It was a great exercise because I was like, this is what you should do as a teacher Mm -hmm. is what are my learning goals for this field trip? Like you said, for that experience, everything should have a purpose and intention. And even if it's as simple as learn how to work as a team, like if that's all you care about, make it intentional have them do something and then talk about it. And that's why reflection is so important because kids could do something, walk away and mean nothing versus like really being explicit on what we just learned. What did that mean to you guys? What did you learn? Yes. Use, use your words. Use your words. (laughs) They have power. That's right. Well, thanks so much for sharing this. That's made me think a lot more about planning out my next year in STEM and how I can be more intentional and use all of my resources and talk everything out because really reflection on everything is super important. So thanks for sharing, Natasha. I can't wait to hear more about what you do with those kids in college. (laughs) For now, STEM Space out.